I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Let's uh, begin now by going to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you now for this time to come and study your word. Lord, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, right now we pray that you would write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Lord, just uh, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts willing to obey your word. Because Lord, you are worthy of our faith and you are worthy of our obedience. So Lord, touch our hearts now in this moment. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, we, we took a break for Christmas and Easter and we've had revival, and where do we go through from here? Well, we've got to go back to Deuteronomy. Uh, we, we left Deuteronomy back in December, and so we've got to get back to it now. And so we're going to Deuteronomy chapter 16 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 18 through chapter 17, 13. So a little, good little chunk of the book there. Uh, Deuteronomy 16, 18, and if you don't have a Bible of your, own, of your own, you can grab one of the pew Bibles there and turn to page 150 in the pew Bible, page 150 in the pew Bible, and uh, if you don't own a Bible, then please take that pew Bible with you, and that's our gift to you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, so take that and read it, and it will certainly bless your life. So today we are returning to Deuteronomy and our study of Deuteronomy. Uh, for those who were in, in this study before, you, you remember, maybe you remember, maybe you don't, but uh, uh, I'll remind you, Deuteronomy is a series of Mosaic sermons. There's, there's three sermons in Deuteronomy, and this is Moses. He's preaching to the people of Israel. These are his, his last sermons, his final sermons before he goes up and, and dies on the mountain, and Israel goes into the promised land. So these are Moses' final words. And this is, as we kind of have been seeing it, this is the gospel according to Moses. And uh, so we're looking at that, we're looking at these sermons, and right now we're in the midst of the second sermon of his sermon series right, Moses' sermon series. Uh, this is the second sermon, which goes from Deuteronomy chapter 5 all the way through Deuteronomy chapter 26. And all of this is on the Ten Commandments, right? This the whole section here is really on the Ten Commandments, the law of the covenant. So God made a covenant with the nation of Israel, and you, I will be your God, and you will be my people. So he, as the sovereign God, is now giving them his law. And so uh, it's his law, and they're saying, yes, Lord, we will be your people, and we will obey you. We will follow your leadership in our nation. And so he's laying down the law. He's giving them his law. And we have the law in its basic form in the Ten Commandments. And that's, Moses laid out the Ten Commandments back there in chapter 5. And then in, verse, in chapter 6 through 26, Moses expounds on those Ten Commandments. And so right now we're in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 16. And here uh, we're picking up where we left off. Last time we kind of ended with the first 
half of the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments. And the first four commandments all have to do with our relationship to God, right? And so uh, that ended last time. We got through that, and then we took a break at Christmas. And now we're, we're picking up now in chapter 16, verse 18, and we're looking at the, the second half of the law, and we're picking up with the fifth commandment, which is honor your father and your mother. But if you remember back when we walked through all the commandments, that general principle of honoring your father and your mother has to do with honoring God-ordained authority, God-ordained leadership. Mother and father are the first uh, area of, of leadership, the first kind of the family is the first domain of government, if you will, in, in life. And so mother and father are the first uh, area of God-ordained leadership in our lives, and so we're called to honor our father and mothers. But as we see today, as we pick up now in the Deuteronomic law, uh, we see that it has to do far more with this, this father and mother, but extends to other God-ordained areas of leadership as well. And so today, as Moses expounds and applies this commandment, he reveals some attributes of a godly leader. He reveals some attributes of a godly leader. This is uh, honor-worthy leadership. Honor-worthy leadership. And then this first of three sections that he's going to deal with in Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 17, 13, we discover that godly leaders pursue justice. Godly leaders pursue justice. All right? And here we're going to see three attributes of a just leader. Three attributes of a just leader. Not just a leader, but just leader. A just leader. A, a just leadership. Leaders who seek justice, right? So now remember, I want to remind you of this as we're dealing with Deuteronomy. We, we always need to remember this. Deuteronomy is dealing with the Old Covenant. It is dealing with the Old Covenant. America is not Israel. America is not Israel. It's not the old Israel. It's not the new Israel. America is not Israel. So we can't take old covenant law and try to apply it to American government. It doesn't work. Now, it is good that our founding fathers, they built America Constitution and all that on Old Testament principles, on Judeo-Christian principles, but uh, the Old Covenant law doesn't apply specifically to or perfectly to American government, and so we shouldn't try to force that fit in here. Also, as we think about the church, the church is under the New Covenant, not the old covenant. So some things, uh, yes, the general principles still apply to the church. We still want to live by the general principles that we find in the old covenant, but they apply differently. For example, uh, today we're going to hear, uh, we're dealing with some texts here that deal with some uh, cases in which, and the old covenant calls for capital punishment. And Moses says you're going, you're going to administer capital punishment for the offense of idolatry and you're going to purge the evil from your midst. And so you purge the evil from your midst by 
killing the person, right? By administering capital punishment, by executing them. In the New Testament, we see Paul use that same phrase, purge the evil from your midst when he's talking to the church. But the church is not, we're not, or we're not uh, able, to, we, God doesn't call us to administer capital punishment, right? He doesn't give us that authority. We're not to do that. But when Paul says you're to purge the evil from your midst, in 1 Corinthians 5.13, he is uh, referring to a, a man who is caught in uh, sexual immorality and, uh, is, and the church is not doing anything about it. And Paul says, no, you need to administer church discipline, right? You, you need to excommunicate him. You need to disassociate with him, disfellowship from him because he's not living like a Christian and you're to purge the evil from your midst. And so we see Paul applying some of these principles to the church, but in a different way. And so we have to keep that in mind as we think about Deuteronomy and the Deuteronomic law and how it applies to us today. So we do see here, however, and I, this is what I want us to, to find in our text today, we need to pursue just leadership, right? That's the principle here. And so we need as a church we need to pursue just leadership and at home parents you need to pursue just leadership because all of us here if we're parents at the very least uh, we are leaders at home and so even at home we're to practice just leadership we're to pursue justice and so we're going to see how to do that here today from our text and we're just working through our text because it is uh, quite a bit of, of text there. So we're not going to read it and then go back through it. We're just going to work through it as we go. So the first attribute that we see here today of a just leader is a just leader is impartial in judgments. A just leader is impartial in judgments. Look at Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 20. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not per pervert justice. You shall, show no you shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eye of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So Moses is dealing here with the first area of, of leadership within the, the government, the Israelite government, right? And so in each town, they were to appoint these judges, judges who were to, to hear cases, right? Because they're spreading out over the promised land. And so they can't all come to the same place and, and get these judgments. So there were these judges to be appointed in each town. And, and typically these would have been the, the elders of the, the tribes there in those areas. And, and they were to be the judges who would hear the different causes, hear the different uh, complaints and that sort of thing in the towns. And they were to render judgment over those. And he makes sure to, to say that they're to be impartial in their judgments. Just leadership is impartial. And notice how, what he tells us, what he, uh, how he instructs us to be impartial in judgment. Number one, show no partiality. 
right? A judge who is, or, or a leader who is impartial shows no partiality. Now think about that. At home, that works at home, right? Parents, you can't be partial to one child over the other, right? You, you have to be impartial. We see this happening, though. Even in Scripture, we see this taking place. Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 through 4. Now Israel, that is Jacob, Jacob loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Right? Uh, Jacob showed partiality among his children. He loved Joseph more, and he gave Joseph more, and he, he treated Joseph differently, and it caused division within the household. There was conflict in the household because of this partial treatment to Joseph over everyone else. And, and so at home, we can't show partiality. If we're going to be good parents, we're to be impartial to our children. We're to be impartial towards our children and show no partiality. Also, it works in church too, doesn't it? When it comes to church leadership, church leadership must be impartial uh, in their judgments within church, right? We have to be impartial to show no partiality. Now, we have to be real careful here because we, when we say we're to be impartial, that doesn't mean we're to be impersonal. Uh, we're to be impartial, but that doesn't mean to be impersonal. What, what do I mean by that? Well, a pastor cannot get to know every person within the congregation the same. It's impossible, right? If there's 120, 200 people here, I can't get to know each and every one of you the same. Of course, there's going to be people within the congregation that I'm going to get to know more. We're going to, uh, just because of the nature of things, we're going to get together more and we're going to have more things in common and that sort of thing. Uh, that, that's going to happen. That even happened with Jesus, didn't it? Right? Even Jesus, to be personal, he, he had to have kind of, there were people that he got to know better than others. He had the multitudes who followed him around, and he taught out there in the open, and he taught the multitudes. In Acts, there, he says that there, it was kind of narrowed down to there was 120 who were praying. And, and so there's this large group, but, and he loved all of the large group, and he was impartial, right? He was impartial, but then there were 12 that he really focused his time on. And then even within the 12, there were three right? Peter, James, and John, that he really got to know more intimately. You see, even Jesus couldn't get to know each and every person, all 120 people, the same. But that doesn't mean he was impartial, right? Even though he, he devoted more time to a small group so that small group could go out and invest in the larger group, uh, still yet he was impartial. He loved all of them. Even though there were some he got to know a little bit better. And that's the same way it comes in church. If a pastor tries to know each and every person in the congregation the same, then he has to be pretty much impersonal. He really can't get to know anybody. He has to be kind of standoffish to everybody. So it's not impersonal, 
but it's impartial. When it comes to making decisions, when it comes to guiding the church, he can't be partial to this group over some other group because this is the group he spends most of his time with, right? No, he's got to look at the whole, uh, whole uh, spectrum of advice, the whole spectrum of opinions, and then make a decision and, and go. So it's not impersonal, but it is impartial. There's to be no partiality. Not only is he to show no partiality, but uh, a just leader accepts no bribes. He accepts no bribes. And, and, of course, this does happen at home, right? Because even kids know how to butter up parents. Kids know how to butter up parents. They do. Uh, Mary Beth was just showing me a uh, little clip this 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 week and it was it, it just fit right uh there was a, a mom and she was going to tell dad that how she and the, the daughter had gotten to a fight and how she had had to discipline the daughter and as she opens up the door there's the dad sitting there in his recliner he's got a big glass of cold iced tea in his hand he's watching the football game and there's the daughter giving him a back a, a shoulder massage right and the daughter just kind of looks up at mom and smiles. <laughs> she knew how to butter up dad. And kids know how to butter up their parents. But parents, you can't take bribes, right? You've got to be impartial in your judgments. You can't take bribes, but you've got to be impartial. And it also works in church as well. And I've seen this happen, right? You've seen this happen. We've seen this happen. You, you have some people who think, well, I give more to this church, so I deserve special treatment. No, 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 you don't. You tithe just like everybody else tithes, and if your check is bigger than somebody else just because you got a better job, that doesn't make you mean you, you get special treatment. Oh, no, no, Scripture is very clear on that. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, My brother, show no partiality as you hold faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes, uh, also comes in, and if you pay more attention, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and, and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, hey, you stand over there, or, or sit down here at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partial, partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Dear friends, a just leader makes impartial judgments, whether at home or at the church or wherever, wherever it may be in your business, wherever it may be, a just leader makes impartial judgments. 
So a just leader is impartial. Second, a just leader bases judgments upon a preponderance of evidence. A just leader bases judgments upon a preponderance of evidence. Doesn't that sound familiar? Uh, that's part of our, our own government system because our government system here in America was built upon those Judeo-Christian values, right? But we see this coming out here in Deuteronomy. And look at verses, uh, starting there in uh, verse 21 of chapter 16. Here now, let me explain what's taking place here. Moses, first, he's setting the stage by establishing a couple of case studies. That's what he's doing. Why is he interjecting these, these little, little episodes right here? He is establishing, establishing some case studies to kind of work out what he's about to say. Deuteronomy 16, verses 21 through 17, 1, You shall not plant a tree as, a, as an Asherah beside the altar of the Lord your God, that you, may, that you shall make, and you shall not set up a pillar which the Lord your God hates. In other words, you're not to commit idolatry. That's what he's getting at there. You're not to commit idolatry. Then he goes on, you shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep in which is, uh, in which is a blemish, any defect whatever, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. And so you're not to, you're not to commit idolatry and you're not to give some profane sacrifice on the altar of the Lord. So here's your two case studies and now he's bringing it to court. He's bringing it to court. Then Moses gives this instruction on how these case studies or these cases are to be tried. Going on down to Deuteronomy 16, or 17, verse 2. If there is found among you within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, a man or a woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God in transgressing his covenant. Those two former case studies, right? And has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, or the sun, or the moon, or any of the host of heaven, which I have forbidden. And it is told you, and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently, notice that, you shall inquire diligently, and if it is true and certain that such an abomination has been done in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has done this evil thing and you shall stone that man or woman to death with stones uh, now that was a case in Israel right we're, we're not called to capital punishment here in the church but we see these principles still coming out we notice here that a, a just leader must make diligent inquiry a just leader, when, and when anything arises, when any case arises, whether at home or in the church, when there's an offense, when there's an accusation, a just leader makes diligent inquiry into the matter. Right? Whether you're a parent, whether you're a church leader, whether you're a boss at work, you make a diligent inquiry into the matter. You don't jump to conclusions. You don't jump to conclusions. You, you don't try to, to fill in the gaps and just jump to conclusions of what took place or what happened. But you investigate the facts. You have to investigate the facts. Now, some of you remember Dragnet. 
Some of you do. I, I barely remember watching it at my grandparents' house, right? But, but some of you, you remember Dragnet and uh, old Sergeant Joe Friday, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. Well, that's the way a just leader has to act to things. We, we, we have to look for the facts, dig into the facts. You don't jump to conclusions. You don't see something uh, that's taking place over here and just jump to con- a conclusion of, of what happened and then go convict somebody of that. Go accuse somebody of, of something. But you have to dig into it. You've got to do due diligence, right? You've you got to dig into the facts. You've got to make inquiry into what truly happened. He then continues on, verses 6 and 7. On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witness shall be first against him who uh, put him to death. And afterward, the hand of all the people, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Now, this doesn't apply to a capital case here. This can apply to anything. Whenever there's an accusation made, whenever there's a, 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 something has, has been said, you don't jump to conclusions, but you look for the evidence, and, and you look for the greatest evidence of all are witnesses. You're to look to witnesses, and you're to have a multiple, you're to have multiple witnesses. Not just one person who says, oh, I, I, I know what happened. But there should be multiple witnesses as to what took place. Just leaders don't go on hearsay. Well, well, pastor, I heard that, oh, so-and-so, they're doing such and such. Man, we need to address that. No, you don't go on hearsay. We don't go on hearsay. Even with your children, you you don't want to go on, parents, you don't want to go on hearsay. I heard your child was doing such and such at school. Uh Uh-uh, don't go on hearsay. You don't go on hearsay. You don't go on gossip. You don't go on rumors. You don't act on, on any of that kind of mess. But you look for multiple reliable witnesses. Jesus instructs the church. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 16. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. And if he listens... To you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Paul says likewise in 2 Corinthians 13, 1, every charge must be established on the, by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And again, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 19, do not admit a, a charge against an elder except for on the evidence of two or three witnesses. You're to have witnesses. You're to have the evidence there that an offense has taken place. You know, rash decisions can be absolutely disastrous. Rash decisions can be absolutely disastrous. Even think about that. Think about it, Parents. If you jump to conclusions with your children and you make accusations against your children that are unfounded, that can be devastating to your child and it can crush their trust and their faith in you. 
You've got to be very careful about that. You've got to be very careful about that. If there's an accusation made, you better do your homework. You better do due diligence and look into that and see if the accusation is actually true before you go accusing someone and making judgments based on this accusation, this hearsay that has come about. Look for the evidence. Make inquiry. Find those witnesses. Oh, I've heard that before, right? I, I, people have, have done that to me as, as a pastor. Well, I heard so-and-so, you know, they're, they're slipping around with such-and-such. Such. I think we might ought to do something. I was like, well, where's your evidence? Where's your evidence? Uh, is that just hearsay, or ha have they been caught in this doing that thing? Oh, I've just heard it. Well, we can't do anything then, right? We can't move. We, as a church, sometimes people want to jump into church discipline uh, from hearsay. I heard so-and-so is doing such-and-such. But -such. Well, we don't do that. Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? Whether it be the church or the family, whatever the case, parents, you, you do your due diligence. You inquire. And you find out the facts before you go making accusations against your children. Church leaders, we've got to do our due diligence. We've got to find out the facts before we go administering church, church discipline. Just leaders base their judgments upon a preponderance of evidence. They do their homework. Godly leaders make impartial judgments based upon a preponderance of evidence. Third, a just leader develops judgments through due process. They make just leaders, they make uh, just judgments based upon due process. They go through the process. Moses goes on to set out a process here for the Israelites and here in cases that are more difficult in the nation. Look at Deuteronomy 17, 8 through 9. If any case arises requiring decisions between one kind of homicide or another, one kind of legal right or another, or one kind of assault or another, any case within your towns that is too difficult for you, then you shall arise and go up to the place that the Lord your God will choose, and you shall come to the Levitical priest and to the judge who is in office in those days, and you shall consult them, and they shall declare to you the decision." And so you can kind of think of this as the Supreme Court in Israel back in Moses' day, right? In the, uh, that time when the, they first took over the promised land and they established that central uh, location where the, the temple was to be or the central place where the Lord was to be worshipped. And they were going to set up kind of a, a Supreme Court. If, the, if something couldn't take place, if something could, couldn't be decided, it was too difficult for the judges there in the individual towns. They were sent it to the central sanctuary, and there the priest and the, the judge in charge there were to make that decision. And so he lays out, here's the process. Here's what you go to. You take it to your city people first, and if they can't decide, then you bring it to the capital city and let them decide. Here's the process. Here's what you got to go through. We need to see this that we need to find to define the disciplinary process, right? At, as parents at home, you are to define the disciplinary process. You're to define the process in which decisions are made, especially when it comes to disciplining your children. 
Parents, you need to determine what is the disciplinary process, and you need to define that for your kids. Let them know in advance. Man, I wish I'd have preached this 20 years ago because it probably would have saved me some heartache and trouble because I didn't always do this. I'll just confess. I, was, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I learned this a little late. I learned this a little bit late. But you need to define the disciplinary process. In the home, that means define the expectations. Here's what I expect. Child, children, here's what is expected of you. Here's what we expect as your parents. Define the privileges of obedience. If you do this, if you follow this, then here are the privileges. And then also define the consequences of disobedience. So take example. Your child turns 16 years old and wants to go out and hang out with their friends, her friends, at the movies, whatever. And so you, you set a, an 11 o'clock curfew. Be home at 11. Then you clearly state the privileges of obedience. If you continue, right, if you show up at home at 11 o'clock, if you meet your curfew, then you'll continue to be able to stay out at 11 o'clock at night on the weekends with your friends. That's the privilege of obedience. But the consequence of disobedience is if you don't make curfew, then you're grounded for two weeks. Right? Make the process known. Here's, here's what, here's the expectations. Here's what we're going to do. Here's, if you obey the expectation, if you achieve the expectation, then here's the, the blessing that you're going to receive, right? Here's the privilege. But if you don't, here are the consequences. Lay those out in advance, and it will work a little bit better anyway. Children will still be rebellious. Children will still, at times, not meet that curfew, and you'll have to have that disciplinary action. But, hey, go through, follow through, follow the process. Lay the process out and then follow it. Follow the disciplinary process. So define the disciplinary process and then follow the disciplinary process. Now, for us, the Bible lays out, as the church, the Bible lays out the whole process for us, and we follow God's Word. It defines, uh, God defines our expectations. He defines the privileges and, uh, of obedience, and then He defines the consequences for disobedience. And we are to follow His Word as we seek uh, His guidance and, and the church. So, we define the disciplinary process, and then we follow that disciplinary process through. At home, when our kids disobey, we discipline them, and we go through with whatever we have defined as that consequence of their failure to live in obedience to our expectations. In the church, uh, Scripture gives us the the process to go through Matthew 18 we read some of this while ago Matthew 18 15 through 17 if your brother sins against you go to him and tell him your faults between you and him alone if he listens to you you have gained your brother but if he does not listen take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses if he refuses to listen to them tell it to the church and if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. You're to disassociate. 
put that person in a place of, of church discipline. They're not to be treated like a church member anymore because they're not acting like a church member. They're acting like a sinner. So they're not in place positions of leadership within the church. They're no longer able to, to teach or anything like that. But now we teach them like, treat them like a sinner. They come and they listen to the word preached. But they're not able to, to be involved in, in certain things within the church. So a just leader develops judgments through due process. You follow the process. So godly leaders, as we see here in Deuteronomy, godly leaders pursue justice. Godly leaders pursue justice by making impartial judgments based upon a preponderance of evidence and through due process. Now, as we do all this, right, as just leaders live this out, as godly leaders pursue just leadership, then submit to their authority, Submit to their authority. Deuteronomy 17, 10 through 13. Then you shall do according to what they declare to you from that place that the Lord will choose. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they direct you, according to the instructions that they give you, and according to the decisions, uh, to the decision which they pronounce to you, and you shall do. You shall not turn aside from the, the verdict that they declare to you, either to the right hand or to the left. The man who acts presumptuously by not obeying the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die. So, shall, so you shall purge the evil from Israel, and all the people shall hear and fear and not act presumptuously again. Honor godly leadership by submitting to godly authority, submitting to their authority. When it comes to the home, honor father and mother. Kids, honor father and mother by submitting to their authority. Honor church leadership by submitting to their authority. But we also have to realize that all earthly authority will be less than perfect, right? Mortal men fail. I fail as a pastor sometimes. Sometimes I, I just don't hit the mark. As a father, sometimes I fail. I just don't hit the mark. I'm a mortal man. I'm a sinful man. I'll confess it, right? I'm a sinner, and I am not perfect. And no parent is perfect. No church leader is ever perfect. There was only one perfect leader, Jesus Christ. And so church, we honor Jesus Christ, our perfect leader, by submitting to his authority. Jesus is the one perfectly just leader who shows no impartiality, who's set out the process and follows the process. He, he does nothing without evidence. Of course, he's all-knowing, so he knows all everything that happens. Jesus is the one perfectly just leader. And Jesus upheld justice by dying on the cross 
for our sin and our place. In Christ, and in Christ alone, the justice of God was satisfied. You see, God laid out the penalty for our sin. And the penalty for our sin is death. Eternal separation from God. But Jesus loving us and caring for us, He came to this world and He lived a life in a perfect obedience to the Father's will. And though He was without sin, He went to Calvary's cross. And on Calvary's cross, the justice of God was satisfied. As God poured out the consequences of our sin on His Son, Jesus Christ, Jesus died for our sins and our place. And through Jesus, we can be forgiven of all of our sins. God extends His grace to us because of what Christ did for us on Calvary's cross. There are no perfect leaders other than Jesus. But Jesus is perfect. And He fulfilled perfect justice for us. And if we trust Him and put our faith in Him, we find forgiveness of our sins and eternal life in Him. If you've never trusted in Jesus, turn to Him. Submit to Him. Follow His leadership. Honor His leadership by surrendering to Him even today. And He'll help you live in obedience to His will. He'll help you follow His way if you'll just trust in Him. Parents, strive to be just leaders. Yeah, you're going to fail. There's going to be times that you mess up. But strive to follow the example that Jesus set out for you in being a just leader to your children. Church leaders, other than myself, Strive to be a just leader. Wherever, whatever it is, Christian, whatever, wherever God puts you into a place of leadership, strive to be a just leader. Because a just leader is worthy of honor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you give us instruction on how to be a leader worthy of honor lord as you call us into positions of leadership whether it be in church whether it be at home as a parent whether it be in church as a church leader or whether it be at, out in the business world as a leader in the industry or, or wherever it may be lord you call us into positions of leadership and lord you give us a model to follow how to be a leader worthy of honor and respect Lord, we know that we are imperfect. But Lord, we just ask you to give us the strength, give us the ability to do the very best that we can be, to always pursue justice, to be a, a leader that honors and glorifies your name. And Lord, where we do fail, let us always fall upon Jesus. 
and seek that forgiveness in him. Oh Lord, I know today has been more focused on leadership than on the good news of Jesus, but Lord, if there's any today who've never trusted in Jesus, Lord, I just pray that you would just touch their hearts and let them see Christ. Let them seek the pure leadership, the pure justice in Jesus Christ. Now these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.